This weekend is the Gunstead Meeting of the Minds, and I thought I'd take a minute to talk to you about that because I realize you may not really know what that is. Uh, I know for a long time I didn't really know, uh, and then once I experienced it, I, I, I knew that it was a place I needed to be all the time. So I want to take a minute just to talk to you about it for a little bit since it's going to be happening this weekend, and then um, we'll be able to, you'll be seeing a lot of information coming out after that, I'm sure. The Meeting of the Minds was something that came up, and I know it might seem like it's um, exclusive, um, kind of a, a weird kind of exclusive, because to go to the Meeting of the Minds to attend in person, you need to be a fellow, a diplomate, or been in practice for 20 years. And so if you're young, you're thinking, well, I can't do any of those three things right now. What do I do? So the thing about it is it was designed to be a different kind of meeting. And while we often talk about all these things, lump them under the category of seminars, this isn't really a seminar like most seminars, although it is still a seminar. We still get CE, but it's very different. It was meant to be an interactive seminar. It's meant to be something where uh, we're pushing our thoughts, we're exploring new areas, uh, going in directions that maybe we haven't really gone, exploring some of the tough questions that people ask where maybe there's discrepancy, uh, and trying to, trying to figure out how we continue to move Gonestead forward. And so that's one of the things we do is we have these meetings so that everybody's mind comes together and, and we kind of say, well, obviously, we're, what would Gonstead be doing because things have changed? And so taking what he did when he did it and trying to apply it now, maybe it doesn't work so well because things have obviously changed and things are changing and we need to change with it. And so how do we do that without compromising the principles of Gonstead and still do what we need to do and get the same results? And so there's over the years that I've gone, there's been a number of different topics uh, the first time I ever went to the Meeting of the Minds was in 2007, and the topic had to do with the disc. And what was interesting to me is they brought in speakers who represented, um, I can't even remember now, it was, I think it was Cox, I think it was Cox Flexion Distraction Technique. And they came and they presented their, their disc concept as far as what they thought of the disc. And what was incredible was the fact that as they presented and then Gonstead people presented, we found that our disc concept was nearly identical. And so that kind of made this kind of camaraderie like, hey, we're kind of actually trying to do the exact same thing. And what I came away with was an understanding that basically what we do in Gonstead is we try to stabilize everything and move just the bone that needs to be corrected. In, in that particular technique, in cock flexion distraction, what they do is they try to stabilize the one that they would say is the subluxation and then they move the things underneath it, all with the same ultimate goal for both of us, which is to change the function of the disc. And so that seminar alone, I came out going, wow, that was unlike anything I've ever experienced in chiropractic, to have two techniques coming together, only to discover how similar they really are. And then uh, I, didn't, I didn't go for a while, but then I started going uh, to more of them. In fact, one of the ones that really got me hooked is I went to one, and it was all about concussion. And concussion is one of those things that um, I never really dealt with much. I didn't know how to evaluate. I, like, I really knew almost nothing about concussion, so I wasn't doing much with them. After that seminar, I knew so much more about concussion that I started incorporating things I still use to this day that I can, if somebody's got signs of concussion, especially if it's been, um, it'd be a rest-resistant concussion so that they tell people if they have concussions, they need to just rest but they find that many people, even after rest, still are not getting their concussions healed. And so we started doing work to be able to recognize those people who are not healing from their concussions. They're still showing shine signs much later. And then things we can do to try to help them out and try to restore proper function. Uh, that seminar to me was um, 
totally changed how I did everything, especially in regard to that issue, especially in regard to car accidents, things like that. And so when you have a seminar like that where it's nice to go and be hyped up, it's nice to go and get kind of the rah-rah thing and the whole camaraderie, but when you've got a seminar where you come out going, man, I didn't just become a better doctor, I took a giant step forward in my doctoring skill, that makes a huge difference in, in your career because, like I said, once you learn something like that, once I knew what to do with concussions, I've never stopped doing that. I now know how to do that, and I do a lot more of it. And if anything, I have a foundation that if I want to do more, I can build on it because I have a solid foundation to start with. I'm not coming from a place of nowhere. And so that made a huge difference. And then the last couple of years, up until this one, I've had the privilege of being the, the chairman of the Meet of the Minds Committee. So it was kind of up to me to put together speaker lineups. And for the most part, I was given topics, but then one of those topics, I would kind of go, well, what under this topic, what would I like to see? How, I, how would I construct this? Find some speakers to come in and fill in different gaps and, and talk about different things. And it was just kind of an odd coincidence because we'd already chosen it. We ended up with a, we were at uh, Sherman College and we did, um, our, our topic was uh, chiropractic and the immune system. And it just happened to be in 2021. So as we were, <laughs> as we were, uh, in 2021 and everybody's figuring out that most people don't know anything about how their immune system actually works we're doing a topic trying to figure out how does chiropractic affect the immune system what effects can we have what can we say and that was also a really great seminar uh and i i say that humbly because i i give the uh i gave the opening address which really was a very simple uh address regarding um basic basic immune function it was my my talk had almost no chiropractic in it. It was just the basic function of the immune system, kind of as a refresher, knowing that most people there haven't been in school in a very long time, and so we kind of need to be reminded sometimes of the details of how the immune system works. So I did that, and then I let the other speakers that we brought in take that foundation and build on it, and they did a phenomenal job. And by the time we were done, it was like, wow, we really kind of see the immune system in a little bit different way, and some of the functioning and the things like that. So. That's why, to me, the Meet of the Minds is such an important conference, is because we're taking a little piece of the entire umbrella, but we're taking a little piece, we're diving deep into it, and we're asking ourselves, what, where should Gonstead go with this? How do, we, how do our principles dictate how we should practice in this arena with this information, knowing what we know, and moving forward that way? And so I think it's a great seminar that way, and so obviously, to anybody... If you've been in practice at least three years, the easiest way to get to the meat of the minds is to take the diplomate test and become a diplomate. So I do encourage that of everybody that the diplomate test is a great challenge. And so I've talked about it before, but I'll talk about it again, I suppose, because it's not like, you know, a lot of times when you're in school, you have tests where you feel like the test is designed to trick you and everybody point and laugh at you because you messed up. And I never really saw it that way. Um, even even when I taught at Life, I, I never wanted to give a test that was meant to trick somebody. I was I would give the test with the idea that this is to find out what you really know. And in many cases, what I hope it does is you take the test and you find out how much you really know. Uh, I always liked that when a student came in, they were worried about a test, and then they took the test and they did really well at it. And so I'm not giving you anything. I'm not having mercy on you. I'm not. You're not being hand, given a handout. You just proved to me and to yourself that you actually knew the material. And that was the entire point of the previous 11 weeks. 
So I think the diplomate test is designed and intended to be something very similar to that, that only instead of 11 weeks, you've, been, you've gone through all of chiropractic school, you've been in practice for at least three years, uh, you've seen patients, you've put it all together, and this is kind of a, a test to show that you understand the Gonstead principles, you know how to apply them, but look how much you really know when it comes right down to it. In fact, when I took the written test, uh, I find the written test is actually a little bit hard to, to prepare for. You just kind of have to read a lot of everything. <laughs> My way of preparing was I just read through chapters again. I read through uh, the Purple Book. I read through, uh, I don't know, I read through a bunch of different books. But I just kept reading stuff. I was like, maybe I'll get some little tidbit somewhere. But what was interesting is when I got to the written test on the Diplomate test, I realized that I was answering questions. I knew the answers, but I didn't know the answers because I had read them somewhere or memorized them. I knew the answers because as I read through the question, I was able to logically deduce what the answer would have to be. And that was how I got through it. And so in that sense, that might be intimidating to take a test that you cannot really prepare for necessarily, but at the same time, have the confidence and the trust in yourself that when the time comes, I can think clearly and I can get this done. Uh, and in fact, even part of it is you're trying to think clearly and think logically while under some amount of pressure because you're trying to get it done in a certain amount of time. And as I was doing that, I thought that's pretty much life though. When you're in your office, you don't have all day to figure out one patient. You need to come up with the right answer, but you also need to come up with it fairly quickly. And so the way we learn this process is at start, you, you learn to get the right answer. No matter how long it takes, you learn to get the right answer. And then after you learn to get the right answer, then you learn to do it faster. Um, it reminds me of when I was teaching my daughter uh, how to do uh, averages. She was learning averages in math, and I taught her a formula, and the formula worked. And I told her, after she started getting a little cocky, I said, here's the deal. When you get good at math, you're not going to stop using this formula. You're just going to take this formula and use it faster. And even as I said it to her, I thought, oh man, that's so chiropractically applicable. Because that's the thing. When we're learning Gonstead, you learn the technique, you learn the systems, you learn the process, and then as you get better, you learn to do those things faster, but you don't stop using those things. You just do it faster. And at the same time, there's a limit to how fast you can go. So you do it faster, but not infinitely fast. When you get infinitely fast, then you get sloppy. And what you find is when you get sloppy, that definition of sloppiness is that you've stopped using the system. There are certain parts of the system that just require as much time as they require. And so there's a certain point at which you cannot go faster and still stay true to the system. But a lot of times people like to prove they're good at something by going quickly. Um, I can tell you that with my wife in dentistry, I've seen this with assistants before and she pointed it out to me. And she said, oh, the assistants like to prove to the doctor that they're so good at what they do by going so fast. She said, but I hate it when they go so fast that they make nothing but mistakes. And that's the problem you get when you start going faster than you should or faster than you could, you start making those mistakes. So you have to have a high radar for recognizing when you're starting to slip. It's an internal radar that says, I'm starting to slip. So at least at this moment, I need to slow down. Maybe not go slow, but I need to go slower than I'm currently going. And that, and that slowing down helps you to regroup and then you can try to accelerate again. And you just keep pushing that boundary and, and it'll move a little bit. But the faster you get going, the less change you're going to see in that because when you're really slow, there's a lot of room for improvement. But when you're already going pretty quick, there's not a lot of room above that to go even faster. And so that's kind of the process. And so what I find with the media of the minds is that this is that time 
when I can go through a learning process and it's, it's, it's that teaching, coaching, um, going in the gym, doing work. We're not competing. We're just doing work. Um, it's the mentality I usually have when I'm on the bike. I'm not racing anybody. I'm not here to try to be the fastest. I'm here to do work. I'm here to figure out what is my level and how do I move it? How do I move that marker just another inch? Just go a little bit further. And so that should be the mentality. And so that's how I feel about the meeting of the minds is I go to the meeting of the minds excited because I know that when I come back, I will know things I didn't know. I will be better. I will be sharper. I will be cleaner. I will be refined. But at the same time, it's not like I'm going to take, I'm not going to move a mile forward. I may only move an inch. I may move three inches. I don't even know, but it's going to be a small, a relatively small amount. But the compounding effect of making those small changes and then for a year, implement those changes. And then when the meeting of the minds comes around again, I go and I make a small change and I implement those changes. And that process is what walks the ability forward so that by the time 10, 20, 30 years have gone by, the amount of change is remarkable because you're making those small incremental steps instead of trying to do it all at once. The other day I had a, an observation and then a thought, and that thought kind of turned into um, a bit of an analogy, which for me was powerful because it really had me thinking about it for a while. So I thought maybe I'd share it with you because I think it's relevant to what we've just been talking about, that maybe maybe it helps you to come up with a challenge for yourself just in, in how you think about this because it's given me a question that I can ask myself almost every day. So what happened was um, I was listening to somebody sing, and I just quickly recognized that this person was not a trained singer. And that doesn't mean they're a bad singer. It just means I noticed that they did not have proper breath technique. They didn't have proper enunciation technique. They didn't have proper relaxation technique. And as I watched them, I thought, okay, this person is self-taught. They're not, um, they're not trained. And that's okay. They don't sound terrible. But what it tells me is they're not the best version of themselves. I mean, if being a singer is what they want to be, getting training would take them to that highest level of getting there, but they're not doing it. Um, because one of the things that happens, well, I'll get to that in a second, because <laughs> let's build this a little bit. Uh, so, so then I asked myself, so if they weren't trained, where'd they learn to sing? Well, probably in their bedroom, listening to other people sing and trying to sing along with it. Well, that's essentially karaoke, right? And so I remember years ago on, uh, it wasn't America's Got Talent, what was it? American Idol. On American Idol, Simon Cowell used to sometimes tell people that their singing sounded like karaoke. And it was always booed and it was taken as though he's so mean and he's giving them such an insult that it's karaoke. And I don't think karaoke, being karaoke is an insult it is actually more of an explanation. And I think that he was, I don't, I don't know him, but I think he was trying to give them an explanation. He just did it in such a way that it was taken as an insult instead. And so if we think about karaoke, what is karaoke? Karaoke is imitation. If I'm going to sing, I don't know, pick some really unique song. Um, somebody who has a unique voice. So, um, okay, we'll even say like Maroon 5, right? Because you know, I got a low voice for the most part. I can't sing high, but I have a low voice. But if I'm going to sing Maroon 5, I can't sing Maroon 5 way down here. People will be like, that is terrible. <laughs> They're just going to say it's terrible. Because what do people expect? 
Well, if you're imitating somebody, people expect you to sound like the original. So even if you go high and it sounds terrible, they'll be like, well, at least he's trying. If you go really low and you're singing like Barry White down low, they're like, I don't think he's trying. <laughs> so the whole idea of imitation is that it's got to sound like the original. And that, that's actually a really tricky business because when I was in with my band, we would, um, we would do, they're called cover tunes. You call them cover tunes when you do other, so other band songs. So we do cover tunes, um, and there are some bands that all they do is other people's songs, and they're called cover bands. So it's a thing. People do that. But I remember we had a standing Friday night gig that we did every night, and it was starting to gain in popularity, and people were coming because they knew we'd be there, and we were playing. And, um, and so we had to start kind of build our, our library of songs because we, um, we were running out. You don't want to do the same thing every single night. So we needed to build our, our catalog. And so there were, it was important to, to, the guitar player John and I both recognized that if we can't do it exactly like the original, people are going to hate it. So what do we do? Well, let's tweak it. So I remember one of the things he would do is he would find songs and, he, and I would come over and he'd be like, okay, you know that song? Well, what if we do it in this key? And he would find some kind of weird twisted key to play it in. And he'd be like, can you sing it in that key? And if we could pull it off, then we're like, okay, so it's us, but it sounds different enough that we've made it our own. And so people recognize it, but they're not going to compare. That's how you make them not compare you to the original. We had another song one time where he came in and he said, hey, do you know this song? It's a really old song. And I said, yeah, I know that song. He goes, start singing it. And I said, okay. So I started singing it. And as I'm singing, he started playing Cashmere from Led Zeppelin over the top of it. And they meshed perfectly. And, and he said, I was thinking about it in my head. He said, I was hoping it would sound like that. So that's how we started doing it. And what's funny is after we did it and people liked it, the very next time we played, somebody said, hey, play Cashmere again. And he's like, it's not Cashmere. I'm just playing the note pattern of Cashmere. So by making those subtle changes, you make it different. And I guess my whole point is that if you're going to imitate, it's got to be perfect. And if it's not perfect, then it's seen as being lesser than. And that's not actually something that singer-singers do. Because if you're a karaoke singer, that doesn't necessarily mean that you can go in front of a band. And yet anybody who's famous who can front a band can probably sing karaoke pretty decently. Be a pretty good guess. So it's like you can go one way and not the other. And so, But I think that if you're trying to learn how to sing, where would you start? You would start probably by singing karaoke. That's basically what my kids do. They put on their radio. They sing to it. I teach them to listen for the nuances try to imitate those nuances and see if you can add them to what you do. And that's what they do. That's where you start. But hopefully that's not where you end. And so as I was thinking through this process and I was thinking about how there's good singing is based on good technique and that that's what I noticed was missing was the good technique. Uh, it reminded me of, um, this will sound weird, even though I'm a metalhead, one of my favorite singers of all time, actually he's my favorite singer of all time, is Pavarotti. Um, I saw a thing with Pavarotti where he was next to a piano and he played some notes and he said, if you're going to be a first tenor, you need to be able to sing these notes. And he said, and you can sing them and they sound like this. And he sang them. And he said, but that sounds boring, doesn't it? There's no life to that. He said, or you can sing it like this. And he sang the same three notes in a totally different way. And it sounds gorgeous. And then he said, there's just one problem. To learn to sing it the second way requires 10 years. And I thought, there it is again. Isn't that always the case? That to, to do something at a low level, you can do it quickly. To do something at a high level takes patience and practice every single time, even something like that. And so we don't want to stop at karaoke. We want to keep going and we want to get to that higher level. And then I immediately thought of, 
I thought this question popped in my head and I asked myself, are you practicing chiropractic karaoke? And I was like, oh man, what a harsh question. And that's the question that every single day you can ask yourself. Are you doing chiropractic karaoke? Are you just imitating what you've seen? Are you imitating your teachers? Are you imitating what Gonstead did? Or are you really diving into that patient's body and understanding what they need at this moment and not trying to recreate somebody else's adjustment on them, but actually figure out what they need you to do to them? And that's kind of ethereal and it almost seems like that's way out there, but that really is where this is going. That's kind of what I've talked about before with like, you learn the music, but then you make the music your own. Uh, I remember when I was, I was in a, a choir and I had a solo part and I was practicing it with my mom. And I sang it, and I said, was that right? And my mom said, yeah, that's right. It's correct, but now you need to make it your own. And I said, I, I understand, but I don't know what that means. How do I do that? Because if I start seeing other notes, now it's not correct anymore. So how do I still sing those notes, but make it my own? That seemed like a contradiction, an impossible contradiction. So I finally said, you sing it. <laughs> so my mom said, okay. So she sang it and she made it her own. And I went, okay, so what did she just do? And I realized, um, this works in music. I realized that the most important notes, like when she, in these different musical phrases, if she started on the right note and she ended on the right note, she had some liberty to make changes in between, but only as long as she stayed in the key. So you can see how complicated that gets. That's not just something that you just do. You have to have some musical knowledge. So you have to grow your ability and grow your knowledge so you can pull that stuff off. Same thing with Gonstead. There is freedom, but only freedom within the rules. So it's like you gotta play, you're playing the notes and you gotta, there's certain things that are absolutes. There's other things where you have a little bit more leeway on and you figure out, that's the area where you figure out what does this patient need specifically. Um, I've had, to try to give you a practical example, um, I've had patients where in adjusting their cervicals, so let's say most of the time you need to lift first and then set it forward. Um, and then I had a patient where you needed to set it forward first and then lift at the end. And that's just what worked best for them. Uh, I don't get to make the rules. That's just what worked best for them. The other way didn't work as well. Um, I've seen that with like say lumbar pull moves where I like to get a lot of lift into them and then set them forward. But every once in a while, there's one where you've got to take a, you, you just kind of memorize this little bit different vector. Or um, sometimes you're going to make an adjustment and you feel that when you move it where it needs to go, there's a blockade. But if you lift it up over that, then you can go. And so you start to memorize these things on certain patients and recognize that they need a little bit unique adjustment. That's that, that's that non-formulaic, no longer singing karaoke. Now we're actually trying to make the music sing kind of idea. And so um, I don't know if that helps at all. Hopefully it gives you some kind of an idea. But... I think that the question you can ask yourself is, are you doing chiropractic karaoke and just imitating, or are you actually trying to do what that patient needs and, be, and do something unique each and every time? And for me, bringing it back home, <laughs> bringing it all the way back full circle, the me of the minds is that opportunity that I have to push my skills so that my ability to ad-lib, my ability to get out of the box, and my ability to know when I never should, those are the things that grow. And so that ability to do a little bit more and be a little less karaoke, that's what I get from the meeting of the minds. I, I enjoy all the seminars we do. I have never been to a Gonsa seminar that I didn't learn something of value. I always do. But there's just something about the meeting of the minds that's a little bit different, a little bit unique. Um, and I can, I can tell you that my plan this weekend is that I'm doing nothing but taking notes. 
I'm going to listen to anything that anyone has to say and I'm taking notes on it because there are some very smart people who have done this a very long time and when you start adding up the years in practice of everybody in the room, um, I know it comes into the hundreds, <laughs> maybe even the thousand. I don't even know if we get to a thousand, maybe we could, but there's so much practical experience and so much knowledge that um, I just generally feel like I'd be a fool to open my mouth and say much. The, the value there is in just sitting, listening, writing, taking notes, and seeing what everybody else says. And so I'm looking forward to this next week because when we get done, we should have, should have a lot of material, a lot of different things that we can, I can start throwing your way, some new concepts, some new ideas, because this week we're exploring um, subluxation in the 21st century. We're looking at how times have changed, uh, people's bodies have changed, and how does that affect us? And we've got some, there's going to be some incredible um, speakers. Uh, I'm really looking forward to listening to Stephanie Seneff. If you don't know who that is, you should absolutely look her up. Um, she's got great stuff online that you can find. Um, she's an MIT researcher, um, and she's, she's incredible, and she's going to be one of our speakers. So no slouch there for sure. And I can promise you, I know for a fact, there's going to be at least one surprise for most people. Not for me, but it'll be a surprise. So I don't want to spoil it yet. I will tell you what the surprise was. <laughs> when we come back next week, or maybe maybe we'll even, I have an idea. How about we even, uh, I'll find some time and we'll do a little recording from the meat of the minds and, um, and we'll try to pull something off that way, see what we can do. So I think it's going to be awesome time. I don't want you to feel left out if you're not qualified to go yet. Uh, we are trying to do things to, um, to get this material so it can be uh, disseminated out to everybody else, um, either through the newsletter, through, through other seminars, or even just through this podcast. So I do plan to share with you. Um, I'm gonna try to get hooked up with some of the speakers so that after they've presented, they can come on here and maybe give another presentation. So please, by all means, do not feel left out if you can't go to the meeting of the minds, you're not qualified for it. But at the same time, um, we, I do want you to have the information. I do want you to hear from some of these people and, and we definitely want to be growing everybody simultaneously. So uh, I hope you have a good rest of your week and hopefully you'll be hearing from us soon uh, as we put something together from there. So, so take care.